Good morning. My name is Jacob Rodriguez. I'm one of the pastors here at Church of the Resurrection. Uh, this summer, we're doing a short series on the book of Proverbs, and we're exploring what it means to live wisely. Last week, Dan introduced us to the concept of biblical wisdom. Wisdom is skillful living that walks according to the patterns that God has set for us. Just like the carpenter should build his craft according to the grains of the wood, so the wise person will live according to the grain of God's world. Just as the skilled musicians that we heard today sang in harmony rather than dissonance with one another, so the wise person will live in harmony with God's universe and God's law. Broadly speaking, living wisely leads to greater blessings in this life. And it always leads us to greater knowledge of the Lord, the fountain of all joy, wisdom, goodness, and blessing. Now, because God created the whole universe by his wisdom, a proper understanding of wisdom affects every aspect of our lives. Now, today we're going to see how wisdom speaks clearly to the area of sexual love and desire. Turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 5. Let's pray and ask God to give us his wisdom as we hear from him in his word. Lord, make your rule, your word, our rule. Lord, make your spirit our teacher and your glory our supreme concern. For the sake of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So here we are, Proverbs chapter 5. It's page 451 in the ESV Bibles in front of you. And this is an example, a concrete example, of the father, the figure, probably Solomon in this case, speaking to his son, kind of starting from a big picture scope, a big picture view of God creating the world in wisdom and now zeroing in on a very concrete example of how to put this into practice. Something that has been experienced since the beginning of time, since the beginning of the human race, sex. Yes, we're going to talk about sex this morning, so prepare yourselves. Now, Scripture speaks clearly to this, and in chapter 5, it gives us this succinct message. Sexual love, when pursued according to the Creator's design, brings blessing and joy as a temporary pleasure. Sexual love, when pursued according to the Creator's design, brings blessing and joy as a temporary pleasure. Now, there's going to be something in this sermon for everyone in this room, whatever your position in life is. So let's listen closely to God's Word. Now, first of all, let's look at what the Creator's design for sex is. Now, as a dad, I live out my childhood dreams by getting my kids Legos for every birthday and Christmas or at least convincing them to ask their grandparents to get them Legos for Christmas. Anyway, we all know the excitement of opening the Lego box and watching the individual bags fall out and maybe a couple of the figurines falling out. And kids usually are enamored by the pieces and figurines. And in my experience, they never go straight for the instruction manual. So what's the first thing that I do when I open the box with them? I tell them, find the instruction manual Find step one, and let's build this thing one piece at a time. I also tell them the fabled story of my eighth birthday when I vomited on the instruction manual, the pirate ship, and was never able to build it correctly. <laughs> Although now on the internet, you can find PDFs of every single instruction manual, so I should go back to my old Legos and build that pirate ship finally. 
But here in Proverbs 5, the father gives the instruction manual for God's design for sex. Chapter, verse 1 and 2, he says, My son, be attentive to my wisdom, incline your ear to my understanding, that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. Listen to those, uh, those uh, four key terms, wisdom, understanding, discretion, and knowledge. Now these are key words in the book of Proverbs that should remind us of how God created the whole world, the heavens and the earth. Look back at uh, Proverbs chapter 3 in this sort of hymn, this kind of, this, this poem speaking about wisdom. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 13 through 20. If you want to turn there or you can just listen. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom, there's our first term, the one who gets understanding. Wisdom's ways are of pleasantness and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her, reminding us of the Garden of Eden. Those who hold fast to her are called blessed. The Lord by his wisdom founded the earth. By understanding he established the heavens. By his knowledge the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. You see all of creation, all of the garden, the beauty of the tree that was to be enjoyed in that garden was created by the wisdom of God. So when, when uh, Solomon, the father speaking in this passage, exhorts his son towards wisdom, knowledge, understanding, he's reminding him of the building blocks of creation itself, wisdom, understanding, knowledge, and they find their source in the creator. So if we want to know what rightly ordered sexual love looks like, we need to go back to the creator. Go back to the pattern of creation itself. And we know where that is. At the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. A chapter later at the end of Genesis 2. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and unashamed. And Jesus adds to that later on in the New Testament saying what God has joined together let man not separate, separate. So one man, one woman, in physical union, overflowing with life and filling the earth. This is God's design. Again, if creation were a piece of wood, the grains and the fibers would run this way. And the message of Proverbs 5 is really quite simple. If you go with this grain, you will be blessed. If you go against this grain, you'll face the consequences that affect every area of your life. If you build a fire in a fireplace, you can warm a house, you can cook a meal, you can feed a family, you can enjoy hot drinks. If you play with fire outside of the fireplace, you can burn your whole house down. Now, the father is aware of this these two paths, one that leads to life and one that leads to destruction. And so he warns his son in verses 3 through 14 to stay away from the path of destruction. And in particular, he's warning his son in verse 3 against the forbidden woman. What is, who is this forbidden woman? 
Proverbs 2.17 tells us that this is someone who has, quote, forsaken the companion of her, loot, of her youth. She's forsaken the companion of her youth and forgotten the covenants of her God. She is someone who has gone against the grain of God's good design for sex within the covenant of marriage. And now scripture is clear that her sin is not that she is a woman. This is no misogyny here. Rather, her sin is that she has forsaken her covenant with God. And this, brothers and sisters, is something that describes every one of us when we stray from God's commandments. And in the area of sexual sin here, this is someone who can tempt the son that Solomon is warning, and he's telling him, be careful, don't go near. The father's warning to his son is quite simple. Adultery is alluring. It seems sweet as honey, but it will wreck everything. All the blessings of love, of mutual trust with your spouse, of family stability, of self-respect, literally gone overnight. To borrow the Nike slogan, just don't do it. The havoc wreaked by adultery is so comprehensive that the father makes it even simpler at the center of this section, verse 7. Keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house. Now this piece of advice can apply to both men and women with any kind of temptation towards sexual sin. Don't go mindlessly surfing on the internet when your spouse is already in bed. If you are married and you find yourself feeling that electric buzz or special chemistry with someone other than your husband and wife, then build appropriate boundaries for yourself. For example, don't take her out to lunch. Don't start buying him birthday presents. Don't text her after your wife is asleep. Folks, this isn't really rocket science. If you play with fire, you'll get burned and just don't do it. Now, Proverbs is very practical, very succinct. The, the, the father here is giving wisdom very concretely of how the son can avoid that path to destruction. But it's not just don't, it's also do. He shifts gears and shows us the blessings and joy of sex from verse 15 onward. He waxes lyrical in what could be summarized as why steal your neighbor's station wagon when you have a Corvette in your garage? To the married men in the room, God has given you in marriage a beautiful gift that will overflow with blessing and joy if you value it, nurture it, celebrate it, and protect it. Let me read from verse 15 to 19. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Let them be for yourself alone, and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe, let her breasts fill you at all times with delight and be intoxicated always in her love. And friends, the Bible is not squeamish about celebrating sexual love. The Hebrew here actually says to the married man, roughly, like, literally translated, let her breasts drench you at all times and be perpetually carried away by her love. Write poetry about it. This is beautiful, intense, erotic. In other words, Dad's saying, may you lose all inhibitions in the bedroom with your bride. 
these blessings of, and joys of rightly ordered sexual love, it's not just for the husband. Though the young husband is the focus of Proverbs 5, Scripture also gives us a vantage point into God's design for female enjoyment of these gifts as well. Just read the Song of Solomon. Filled with poetry that celebrates the sexual intimacy from the voice of the man and the voice of the woman, frequently echoing, echoing the pristine beauty of the Garden of Eden. It takes two to tango, and with patience, practice, and a commitment to seek your spouse's joy even more than your own, what a beautiful dance this can be. Now, friends, in all this talk about the blessings and joy of sexual pleasure enjoyed within God's design, we need to remind ourselves that this indeed is only a temporary pleasure. Earlier this summer, uh, my boys had their first experience of a proper pinball machine. We were at City State Brewery, and I had a few quarters in my pocket. And they soon learned that daddy's quarters aren't endless. And they wondered why the fun only lasted five minutes. And I ran out of quarters. And why can't we continue having the fun? Well, there's a limited amount to the pleasure you can enjoy out of this pinball machine. Now, I know the analogy really breaks down in several points, but in a similar way, <laughs> Sexual pleasure, though it is described as a flowing fountain in our passage, is a fountain that will one day dry up. It is temporary, not eternal. It is limited, not bottomless. Five, chapter 5, verse 11 in our passage speaks of the temporary nature of disordered pleasures. Okay, so disordered sexual desire. It says, at the end of your life, you will groan when your flesh and body are consumed. It's a visceral description of the consequences that are paid for disordered sexual pleasures. Chapter 5, verse 18 also alludes to the, the temporary nature of even well-ordered sexual desire. When it says, rejoice in the wife of your youth, this speaks about the natural aging of the human person. Young bodies grow old, and death reminds us of our finitude. And the temporary nature of sexual pleasure points to a higher reality a greater joy, an eternal pleasure. Scripture speaks of rejoicing over insects only three times, but it calls us to rejoice in God over 40 times. Again and again and again, rejoice in the Lord your God. Rejoice in your maker. Even saying that God himself rejoices over us as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride. Psalm chapter 16 verse 11. It brings together several of the themes that we've discovered in our passage today. Listen very carefully. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You make known to me the path of life, and your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. That's a verse worth memorizing. That's a verse worth repeating over a season of fasting. That is a verse worth basing your entire life on. And the prophets also contrast the temporary pleasures with the eternal pleasure of, G uh, of the Lord himself. 
Jeremiah 2, verse 13, this talks about when Israel forsook the pleasure that they could have had in the Lord. My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns that can hold no water. Or think about the words of the Virgin Mary. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices. My spirit rejoices, takes pleasure in God my Savior. She who had never had sexual relations had the privilege and joy of knowing the literal one flesh union with the incarnate Lord. Ponder that for a week. Church theologians have pondered it for 2,000 years. In a sermon about the blessings and joys of sex within God's design, I want to say a clear word to those who, because they are single or widowed, or because of medical complications, cannot enjoy the pleasures of sexual intimacy. The temporary pleasures of sexual intimacy are not even worth comparing to the eternal pleasures overflowing from God. When you come to the table to take the body and blood of Christ, your soul and even your body are experiencing the intimate one flesh union with the risen Christ, a mystery for which marital bliss, as described in our passage today, is only but a shadow. You see, we were created for God. We were created to take joy in Him and to find eternal pleasures in His presence. And He invites us down this path of life. We have very practical reasons for why we should abide by the principles of Proverbs chapter 5, but there is an eternal reason undergirding and drawing them all, and that's that God is calling you down the path of life to enjoy eternal pleasure with him. This is the pathway that the Lord desires for us. You see, at its core, Proverbs chapter 5 invites us down this path of life. It warns us of another pathway, the one that leads to destruction in verses 5 and 6. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path of Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. And it reminds us of the previous chapter when we see the, the path of life that, that leads to blessing. Chapter 4, verse 25, towards the end. My son, pay attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them, and healing to all of your flesh. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be secure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left, and turn your foot away from evil. This is the pathway God desires for the young man in Proverbs chapter 5, verse 21. A man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord always, and he ponders all of his paths. The Lord ponders all of your paths. Now, what does it mean that the Lord ponders your path? Uh, more literally translated, it says the Lord makes straight, he makes level all of his paths. And this image of making a level path, it gives us a picture of, of moving aside all the obstacles and giving you the straight highway to the destination where you want to go, whether that's the promised land, or the new creation, or to God himself, the straight path that God is making and inviting you to walk down. Sadly, many Christians are not choosing to walk down this path of wisdom. If the statistics are true, 
65% of evangelical Protestants aged 23 to 31 today have had sexual intercourse before marriage. 75% if you can, form, can include other forms of sexual involvement. Now here, here's where God's word actually needs to hit hard, friends. 41% of evangelical Protestants currently say that there's nothing wrong with this. If you're in this 41% and you look at the 75% of fellow Christians who are having sex outside marriage and you say there's nothing wrong with it, you need to hear God's word clearly today. There are two paths. One leads to self-destruction and the other leads to blessing and joy. Millennials like myself tend to chide against that kind of old school preaching, but it's what the Bible says. And we can't let go of the clear clarity of Scripture speaking to us about what we can and can't do with our bodies. But God's Word also speaks a word of comfort. For many today, the question is not, how, how do I follow the way of wisdom to keep myself pure? Rather, the question is, how do I get back on the path of life when I have strayed far from it? Or even, how can I rid myself of the shame that I carry for having followed disordered desires? Look back at the forbidden woman of verses 5 and 6. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path of Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. Back in chapter 2, she has forsaken the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. How can this woman find her way back to the path of life? Is there any hope for her? Have we ever heard a story of Jesus welcoming a woman like this? Look at Jesus in our gospel passage today, sitting at the table, actually reclining at the table. Okay? With the Pharisees and a whole circle of privileged guests who were confident in their own righteousness, then suddenly a woman from the city, well known for her sexual sin, comes to Jesus broken and desperate for the healing and forgiving touch of the Lord. She brought an alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. The self-righteous Pharisee is astounded. He says to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who this is and what sort of woman is touching him. For she is a sinner. Jesus turns to the Pharisee and says, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. This woman is a lover. Then Jesus turns to the woman and says, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This woman, whose sinful cravings drove her to touch bodies in immoral ways, now dares to touch the feet of Jesus with her uncovered hair and kiss them with her lips. These are the same feet that the risen Jesus would show his disciples, inviting them to touch him. A sinful woman's body, touching the body of Jesus, does not make Jesus unclean. Jesus' body and blood, soon to be crucified and risen in victory, touches the sinful woman and makes her whole. Jesus forgives her and literally speaks shalom, 
peace, wholeness, repair over her. Brother or sister, if you have tasted the bitter fruits of disordered desires, if you have been crushed by the consequences of turning away from the path of life, come to Jesus. He is the fullness of God's wisdom. Become flesh and blood to save you and make you whole. And if you have been the victim of others' disordered desires for no fault of your own, Come to Jesus. He does not treat you as if you are unclean. Rather, he embraces you with holy arms and speaks peace over you. And to everyone here, hear the voice of wisdom calling to you to follow the path of life with every one of your desires. Will you follow? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.